This is the Shift Podcast. Coming up on the Shift Daily Podcast, why are parents not vaccinating their kids against COVID-19? Dr. Rand Goldman, he's a pediatrician at UBC. He addresses parents' concerns, why the vaccine is a good choice for parents, and the difference it would make if Canadian kids got their doses. Do you like having conversations during personal service appointments? Eliza Trendiak is the owner of Artel Salon in Vancouver, and she shares how they are trying out conversation-free haircuts. Looks like it's going to be the next big thing. Plus, Steve Stebbing on what we should watch this weekend and are you okay with blind dates? It's all coming up today on the Shift Daily Podcast. This is the Shift Podcast. Are you okay? Are you okay with blind dates? I've... I guess, uh, how strict is your definition? Like, I've gone on, like, met someone on Tinder, like, on a Tuesday, and went out with them on Wednesday. That's Laura, by the way. The only time I've ever done that, who is now my partner. But uh, I've never done, like, a full-on, I have never said a word to this person, let's sit down and have it. I think it's, like, it's conversation. I think it's kind of a neat idea, but... eh. Yeah, to me, when I hear blind date right away, I think like you haven't seen the person like on Tinder, you can see them, right? Yep. Yeah, I guess that does really <laughs> like blind you know, dates. Brendan, <laughs> you? Yeah, no, blind date? no, no. I don't like people in general, so I don't want to go on. <laughs> I need to know a lot mm-hmm. before I commit to yeah. this. I need to know quite yeah. a bit. I, I'm kind of in the same boat, you know, I think I would probably, I guess it depends on who set me up, you know, if it was a person yeah, who was like, oh no, no, you. you're really like, trust me, I know you're really going to like this, this person that I'm setting you up with, then, then maybe, but if it was a person that I, I think that would have a lot to do with it. You know, the person who was setting it up, uh, blind dates can be a unique way to get yourself out there. But because you have no idea who you're meeting, there's also a very real risk of the date going bad. Or if you're like this woman in China, getting stuck with them. So she went on a blind date with a man who wanted to show off his cooking skills. Great. She went to his home for a little dinner date. Right? Okay, not long after, their neighborhood was put on lockdown. She's been stuck there ever since. She's been posting about it, and so far, it does not look like they've matched. She reportedly told a local newspaper (laughs) about it, saying, quote, besides the fact that he's as mute as a wooden mannequin, everything else is pretty good, despite his food being mediocre. He's still willing to cook, which I think is great. End quote. Wow. Ooh, yeah, that, that is was from the Daily a, Blast. That is like a, a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, good on that guy for probably understanding that he's not going to get anything out of this, but he's not being a you know a jerk. He's you know he's he's doing a gentlemanly thing. I mean, I think I feel like she's maybe a little bit harsh in her words there, and that could also just be the translation from Chinese to English. It might be a little blunt, but. Man, can you imagine like they're on day three and they wake up and they're like, okay, what are we going to do today? (laughs) I mean, it's a very real danger. Very, very real dangers of dating in a global pandemic. You could get stuck with that person for a very long time. Yeah, yeah. It's also like, feels like the plot of a romantic comedy 
that I watched oh, at some point. You oh, know, yeah. like in fact, I think in the the one that I'm thinking, I think I'm trying to remember. Miles Teller was in it. I forget who else the what the female was, but they hooked up on Tinder and then it like snowed, and she got snowed in and was stuck at his apartment, and they just had to spend like three days together in his apartment uh, until the streets got cleared. And of course it ended up that they fell in love. You guys oh, I was and lived happily say, ever after. I could know? hardly wait for 25 years for the pandemic era Hallmark movie where they get stuck <laughs> together in quarantine. <laughs> totally. Right. These things write themselves. We should actually yeah. start that right now so that we can, you know, see, see the profits from the, the quarantine Hallmark movie when the time comes. All right. Are you okay? Are you okay with transplants? Uh, I'm an organ donor. So yeah, I, I've never yeah. had a transplant. I'm, uh, I think it's an incredible feat of science and it's an amazing thing you can do for someone. Yeah. 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 It's an incredible feat of science. I don't know how you could not be not be okay with transplants i mean nothing bad you are giving life to someone and someone is getting life yeah absolutely i i marvel at the uh the stuff that they can do uh scientifically do you guys this is a quick sidebar do you guys are you, are you familiar with the podcast called the moth do you know the moth no, no i do not know it's the a, moth it's like a storytelling podcast, a live storytelling on stage. It's really great. I recommend you check it out. Uh, there is a moth story from a doctor who did the first ever uh, hand transplant and Ooh, uh, getting the hand to work and talked about how it was like 19 hours or whatever. It, it was the doctor telling the story. It was I listened to it years ago and it was so moving to me that I I bring it up anytime I get the chance to talk about it, like right now as we're talking about transplants, because it really is like, uh, I want to say a miracle of science, but it also is science that these guys like work for 20 hours in an operating room to like transplant uh, uh, th this hand that they did for a, a soldier who'd lost his hand. The way that the doctor described it, there were over 10,000 nerves that needed to be connected, nerves yeah. that couldn't be seen with the human eye. Like that's how small they are. They can't, a human eye can't see them. They have to wear like the monocle thing to like zoom right in on there. And I had to connect 10,000 of them guys. It's amazing. And this story is very, very, it's in the same vein to me. I love this. A life-saving procedure for millions of people every year, heart transplant, but there's issues with it. One of the issues is supply. You know, we've seen the movies too, where it's like, Oh, we need the donor heart and it's got to get to them. And they, put it in a cooler and like put it on a helicopter and stuff. Right. This is one of the reasons why a man in the United States just got a heart transplant from a pig. Here's more from CBS. Patient David Bennett, a Maryland handyman and father, is awake and recovering days after a seven-hour surgery to replace his heart with that of a genetically modified pig's. This pig heart has performed so far very well. Uh, even beyond our expectations. When Bennett arrived at the University of Maryland Medical Center, he was dying and ineligible for a human transplant because of the severity of his heart disease and medical history. My dad's prognosis early on was very, very, very bad. His son said Bennett agreed to the experimental procedure despite a slim chance of success. This was 
his best hope of getting out of the hospital and having somewhat of a normal quality of life. He says, I don't want to die. And he said, if I do, maybe you'll learn something to help others. Although it's too soon to know the long-term success of the surgery, doctors say it can offer hope to similar patients. There are hundreds and thousands of people all around the world who are waiting for the organ, and unfortunately, just like this patient, may not qualify for an organ transplant. Are you kidding me? This is the coolest thing I have ever heard. I love this. I love it. it. Yeah, I I think... We, we got to wait and make sure that it lasts. But I think the idea, well, that, you know, how like uh, they're trying to figure out how to 3d print beef. Yes. You know, like yeah. this, this kind of thing is amazing. The idea that you need a kidney. Okay. I'll go make one or it's okay. We got a couple of pigs in the back. Um, that, I would, my only been raising so that we yeah. can, you know, have, have that. Yeah, of course. The only concern I have, do you remember that Simpsons episode? It's a trios of horror when Homer gets the hair transplant, but it's from the hair of a serial killer. And then Homer goes crazy and becomes yeah. a serial killer. Yeah. If you get a heart transplant from a pig, does that mean you would like randomly like do an oink oink every now and then just come uncontrollably? See, I feel like that's part of the fun. Yeah. I feel like that's part of the fun mm. here, you know? I, I, I mean, I think we've done enough of this, like, hey, it's wonderful and science and we're going to solve all the problems and stuff because that's what we do. And I love that. But I also think, you know, it's kind of fun. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Like this this gentleman who did this, he was like, hey, I understand that there's some risks involved here, but somebody's got to go first, right? Somebody's got to be the person to step up and say, like, let's try this. And, and if it doesn't work, then you learn something. But like to your point, Let's see if it takes. Let's see what happens. Like, yeah. And there are some scary elements to this. Yeah. Of like, how how far does this go? Like, okay, can can we transplant, like, I don't know. Uh, what's the future? Can I get, like, antelope legs so I can run? You well, know, like, run, well, really? Yeah. You know? to Ryan, like, how far are we willing to go with this? Well, to Ryan's point there about, you know, uh, He's worried about having the urge to oink oink. I'd be more concerned about the urge to jump in a pile of mud and start taking a bath. I I wouldn't want that urge. No, or just yeah, yeah, yeah. Crazy stuff, man. Very cool what they are able to do. And if nothing else, it should give you uh, a little bit of hope. It does for me. Are you okay with billboards? Um. Yeah, sometimes I, I I always like when you watch them change, you know, the ones that have multiple sides yeah. and then Alberta's weird. You get like really funny ads and then you uh, you drive on the highway and there are some very questionable billboards along that highway, man. Like, I remember my friend from Ontario. Well, we it was coming through and we drove through uh, up up to Edmonton and, and there were so many billboards. He's like, wait, are they allowed to put that on a billboard up here? I was like, oh yeah, nobody cares. It's, no one cares. It's a billboard. <laughs> they paid for it. <laughs> yeah, it's like that in the United States. They can actually have their billboards much closer to the highway in the United States mm-hmm. too. And it's kind of funny when you get into... Some of the, what you would think are more of the conservative southern states like West Virginia, Virginia. And it's like, no, these billboards aren't very conservative. <laughs> no, I sort of feel to me it's like uh, a, a lot of a lot of ad placement. Uh, if it's done creatively, it can be a really cool thing. You know, like there's these billboard ads where uh, where they they're placed and uh, the things that they do with them. It's it's. 
it can be a real creative outlet, but then some are just like, you know, call lawyer at 1-800-LAWYER, you know, it was kind of, kind of boring. Um, but this is a good story. Uh, billboards are a great way to sell something and make a point or even to just advertise something silly. A guy in London has found a new use for billboards. That is dating. He plastered himself on billboards to try and find his missus right. So he's got this billboard and it shows him lying down on a purple screen and pointing at a line saying, save me from an arranged marriage. Accompanying him, he's a young bearded man with a black skull cap, was a link to a website titled Find Malik a Wife. Here is Malik. Hi, I'm Malik. You might have seen my face on a billboard somewhere. Uh, I'm 29, living in La Vida, London. I am an entrepreneur, I'm a foodie, and I'm religious. I am looking for someone who is working on her deen. I'm open to any ethnicity, but come from a loud Punjabi family, so the banter has to be 100. If you're interested, fill out the form or check out my details. I love it. He, I love this. He lost me when he said, live in La Vida, London. He didn't like that, oh, no? <laughs> no. There, look, I love a good pun. I love something cheesy. That one, I, I felt anger, like just immediate repulsion. This is the Shift Podcast. One of the things that has been coming up a lot is this idea of vaccinating kids. Not the idea of vaccinating kids, because we are vaccinating kids. There's a fantastic, wonderful, safe uh, vaccine for kids aged 5 to 11. I'm a parent, and my daughter is not yet vaccinated, but she is going to be. Um, and I have this conversation all the time with other parents, you know, drop the kids off at the playground or drop them off at school and then talk to other parents at the playground. And everybody's just sort of having this conversation, especially like all the schools were delayed. And it was like, well, what do you think? Should we get our kids vaccinated uh, in British Columbia? Uh, the school board in Delta has decided that they're going to make vaccines mandatory for teachers. There's a huge conversation around kids and vaccinations. Now, if you know people like I do, one of the things that you hear all the time is, oh, yeah, yeah, we're in favor of vaccinating our kids, but we're just going to wait a little bit. We're going to wait until summer. We're just going to wait a few more months. We're just going to, you know, kind of this wait and see attitude, which is different than the attitude that I think for a lot of people, we we express ourselves when we had the opportunity to get vaccines we wanted them. Let's get get to it, get to it as fast as we can. But now we're taking something of a some sort of a different attitude towards kids getting vaccinated. And that's not what the science says that we should be doing. So to try to unpack this and understand it a little more, uh, we're joined now by Dr. Ran Goldman from the University of British Columbia. Dr. Goldman is a medical doctor, and he's also a professor from the Department of Pediatrics, uh, so knows about kids and illnesses and sicknesses, and has been doing a ton of research into this idea of vaccine hesitancy and why we are so hesitant when it comes to our kids. It's okay for us, but with kids, it feels a little bit different. So let's dig in. And uh, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Goldman. Really appreciate you being here. Why is it that parents feel this hesitation around getting our kids vaccinated? 
So, Scott, this is such an important topic that you're covering tonight. And I think in this COVID pandemic, we're still in the midst of that. There are a lot of factors that result in parents being hesitant or not sure if they want to give the vaccine to their children, especially in the 5 to 11-year-old. Listen, we're seeing vaccine hesitancy with every vaccine program. And some parents are just not interested. They won't give any vaccine to their children for whatever reason. Those are people that are really hard to convince. But there is a large portion of the population of parents who are considering, who are unsure, who wants to see what happens with other children that receive the vaccine. And those are the parents that need to speak with their healthcare provider, ask the questions, check out online in uh, resources that are reliable and find answers to their question. So if you ask Scott, Scott, what are the main reasons for not vaccinating? I think there is a combination of two. One, the fact that during this pandemic, we've seen a rapid development of this vaccine and parents are worried about safety. How safe can it be if people developed it or companies developed it so quickly? So my answer to this question is, listen, this mRNA technology has been in the works for a decade or two. There's nothing new about this. And it actually was used for other vaccines. We were very timely here to have a pandemic at exactly the same time as this mRNA technology was maturing. And fortunately, we have a vaccine to shield ourselves and our children. The, second, the second factor that uh, parents uh, are worried about, they say, listen, because it's new, let's see what happens with other children. Let's give other people an opportunity to get the vaccine. Make sure there, there is nothing wrong with it. And the answer is, first, there were trials with thousands of patients or people that received the vaccine. And second, we're now into a millions of uh, children that received it. There are side effects. They're short term, they're minor, and this is a safe vaccine. Certainly. And I, the things that you mentioned there, I think I, that that's exactly what I am witnessing. I have a five-year-old daughter who we are waiting to get vaccinated. Like we want to get her vaccinated, just haven't had the call yet. And uh, our peer group is full of people with kids the same age. And those points that you bring up are exactly the same points that everyone talks about. We'll just wait. We'll give it six months. We'll give it, you know, a, a year, that type of thing, and make sure that a bunch of other kids have it first. But in every one of these cases, all of the parents that I speak with are vaccinated themselves. So why are we willing to take, and I'm not, if you're afraid that there's a risk, now we know that there's very, 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 very little risk, but we're willing to take, in our minds, perceptually, we're willing to take that risk with ourselves, but not for our children. So Scott, this is a critical point. And the main reason for that during the COVID pandemic is people perceive the illness in children as a very mild illness. They say, listen, I'm not going to take the risk with my five to 11 year old and give them a shot that I'm not sure about any side effects or long-term complications when the illness seems to be so mild. And my answer to that is yesterday, working in the emergency department, I've seen a child that was totally healthy got COVID and developed complications uh, that were serious. So what I'm saying is don't take the risk of having a COVID illness that in the majority of cases will be mild in children, but there are going to be a few children that will have complications. Now, when you have a pandemic and so many children are sick, 
there are more of those that will have complications and we need to prevent this vaccine together with public health measures that we all know about for two years are the solution. Certainly. And one of the, uh, the things that I, I, I feel like people also are talking about, and maybe you can help us sort of dispel this idea as well, is that you know, we hear numbers, you know, 80, 90% of the population is vaccinated. That's, that's enough. That's enough. Um, talk about the difference that it would make to us actually getting ahead of this pandemic and putting it in our past if we actually got this group of people vaccinated. Everyone wants to get beyond this COVID pandemic. Yes. We, we can't stand it anymore. Uh, and when we think about this, we have to consider the herd immunity. There is a magic number somewhere between 70 and 90% of the population that has to be vaccinated in order to get this herd immunity and to prevent further admissions to the hospital, uh, other complications, intensive care admission and death. And we cannot forget that children are 25% of our, our population. So if you do not vaccinate any child, you're going to reach 75% vaccinated if every adult, everyone will get two shots and a booster and maybe a fourth dose. But you can't forget those children. And actually, Scott, there are studies being done now on children six months to four years of age which are eventually probably also going to need to get vaccinated for that magic number to happen and for us to get beyond COVID. Yeah. And it's an interesting thing. You mentioned that that's that younger age group, because I also have a one-year-old daughter. And again, with my five-year-old, we, when she was born, you know, the, the standard, we took her to our, our family doctor and she got the standard cycle of vaccinations, you know, the same ones that every child gets the uh, measles and uh, chicken pox and, and all of those type of things. And we don't bat an eye about those things. That's just like op standard operating protocol. And do you feel like this is something that's going to eventually get to that point where we just accept it and okay, we're going to vaccinate. It's, it's just interesting to me that this, this one seems to be the outlier when we're so open to so many other things. And again, I, for the, I understand for the reasons that we've sort of discussed here, the time that it's sort of taken and we know there's all sorts of misinformation and fear and, and all of that type of stuff. But it just, it's, it is so crazy to me that this one is the outlier and it feels like it's the most important thing right now. You know, it's the most important thing. And we've done it with all of these other these, these, all these other areas in our lives. We're willing to, to put ourselves forward for it yet. It, it, it almost doesn't make sense, you know? And I, I think there's a small part of me that can identify that because, you know, my five-year-old daughter, I acknowledge that she should be vaccinated. We want to have that done. We intend to get that done, but there's just this little piece of me that goes, Oh, but what if it's a 1% of 1% of 1% of 1%, what, however minuscule the chance is, we feel, and maybe you can speak to this, you feel more vulnerable with your own kids. Absolutely. I, I can relate to that. As a pediatrician for 25 years, I see it all the time. And I recognize that parents have to ask the right questions. Uh, in the beginning of this pandemic, when the vaccine was developed, they asked about effectiveness. How effective is this vaccine? We now know that it's 90% effective in children. And, and I want to get back to your question about standard vaccines. Every year, we're getting a, an influenza vaccine against the flu. And many people in the population are taking this. Guess how effective that vaccine is? It's actually about 50 
90% effective. So we're talking about COVID vaccine, which is so much more effective. This had uh, need to be understood. The second question parents have is about safety, safety of the vaccine. And let me give you one example of misinformation that we, all of us, in all of our communities in Canada are seeing. You know that among adolescents, the 12 to 18 years of age, when the vaccine became available and adolescents started getting it, we heard about a complication in the heart, something called myocarditis or pericarditis. And we've seen patients with this. But now that evidence arise and research has been done, it's a fascinating condition. And it's very, very rare. Not only that, it's so much rare that it's way less common than when you get the COVID illness. Pericarditis and myocarditis are so much more common if you get the illness itself in adolescence. So here's a type of misinformation that we stick to one side effect that we hear about. We're not waiting for the research and we're saying, oh, it's it's dangerous to get vaccinated. But in the end of the day, I'm an evidence-based kind of guy. And when I'm looking at it, it's actually more dangerous to be sick with COVID. Right. And uh, yeah, there. I think you made that, the point earlier that we have this idea that, that oh, it, it's, not, it's just a cold, you know, and uh, as a person who we had Omicron, you know, in our house, my wife and I both dealt with it. Like it was Sorry worse than a cold. No, it's okay. I mean, uh, it was spreading, you know, like a lot. We know a lot of people that got it. So let me ask you this in uh, with the intention of moving forward and, and getting through this pandemic like we all want to do, what questions should people be asking their general practitioners, their family doctors and people that they know if they want to uh, get themselves some more assurance? That, that's great. I think that's the essence of this issue. Go and ask the people you trust the most, whether it's your pediatrician or family doc, a pharmacist in your community or a nurse or a nurse practitioner. Those are the people that know their stuff and you trust them with illnesses and being well and getting well. Ask them what is the most accurate and current knowledge about the safety of those vaccines and compare that to what we hear about being sick with COVID and how dangerous that could be. And if you ask those questions and do do the search, go online and search places like Health Canada or the CDC in the US or FDA, they have the most current information. And if you as a parent become knowledgeable you may sway your decision-making and will lean towards uh, uh, rolling your child's sleeve and giving them the the jab because this is what's going to help all our families get better, get well, and get beyond COVID. Fantastic. Uh, I really appreciate your time, Dr. Goldman. So maybe I'll make this my last question. In terms of uh, changing the narrative around uh, vaccines for kids, because like I said, this is a thing that I talk about at the playground and when we drop our kids off and we pick them up. So say I've decided we're going to do this and I want to help get that message out and to convince the other parents and stuff. Do you have some advice or something you would like to say on that to that part of the issue? I love those discussions at the playground. Those are the best or over coffee or in distance, though. Keep distancing uh, with a face mask and after washing your hands, but have this discussion. And I want families to discuss this at the dinner table because you can't uh, just uh, ignore the facts or ignore the concerns that parents have. What I would say, 
Tell them to go and read about it. Tell them to ask the questions of the right people that they know from before, that they trust the most, and they will figure out that the best thing we can do for our children is to give them a shot. Not only that, it's important to remember that giving a shot to the child also helps the family, the parents, maybe grandparents that live at home, and the entire community. Fantastic. Uh, Dr. Rand Goldman is a professor from the Department of Pediatrics at the University of British Columbia. Thank you so much for your time. And also thank you for all of the amazing work that you are doing to help us uh, put this thing behind us. So um, have a fantastic rest of your day. And uh, yeah, let's go and get this done. Thank you, Scott. Have a good night. And thanks for what you're doing. This is the Shift Podcast. Do you like to talk when you're getting a haircut? And we can expand on that. It doesn't need to just be a haircut. Do you like to talk when you get a haircut? Do you like to talk when you get a massage? Any type of personal service. Maybe you go for, I don't know, a pedicure, manicure, uh, any of these type of personal services. Maybe you're getting your beard dyed. I don't know. I, I find that when I go to these places to get my haircut or a massage, those are the things that I probably get the most often. I don't want to talk. I don't want to be talked to. I don't want to have to talk. I don't want to do the small talk thing with somebody. I just want to relax, you know? And it's not because I don't like talking. I do like talking. But I think I just don't like small talk. Like, I would almost rather build a relationship with my hairdresser and not talk while I'm getting my hair cut, and then go for a beer after and talk, talk, talk. Then uh, there is a uh, hair, hair salon in Vancouver that is doing something very, very cool about uh, this issue. And we're going to get to that in a second. But first, Ryan, I want to come to you first because I thought you were going to cut your hair in the new year. Oh, I, I was, and then COVID happened. Uh, to me, I'm I'm keeping the long. I'm I'm just gonna get an undercut, so oh, okay. uh, I do have to wait a little bit before the uh, the haircut. But yeah, oh yeah, me and my barber, we chatted up. Like, what's new with you? Let's talk about this time. He, we went on like a for for the entire haircut, which is about forty five minutes. He told me about this time that he was in California and went to go. Uh, buy weed from a dispensary and took an e-scooter through a hood and had no idea he was going through a hood. It was just this awesome roller coaster of how did you not get killed uh, it, on this journey? Like, like he dr- took the e-scooter on a highway and then into the hood. <laughs> about, like amazing stories. So it's like every time I go get the haircut, it's it's good, right? But it depends if there's other personal services. Uh, even like an Uber, you kind of gauge pretty quick. How's your day? It's good. How's yours? It's good. And then if there's nothing after that, it's a silence. Or yeah, uh, I got a, a, a massage only once in my life and I was expecting silence. And then when the massage started, I looked and the therapist uh, had a giant tattoo on her leg of one of the swords from Lord of the Rings and a bunch of Elvish speak on it. And we ended up talking about Lord of the Rings for an hour and a half. So and see, it's I just think, kind like, of situational. 
Yeah, like that's okay because obviously you have something in common that you've really hit it off on. Uh, my massage therapist used to be a big Canucks fan, and so we would go and like just talk for an hour about about the Canucks because I'm also a big Canucks fan, and that's great. And I get there are sometimes that it's great, but then there are definitely times where I just feel like this is like pulling teeth. It's this small talk thing, and I don't want to talk. Or for example, the massage thing. It's so relaxing. I don't want to talk, but I feel like it's it's rude to say, uh, can we just like not talk or can we just, or, or you feel like you're the person who's just giving short answers and that can be rude. Uh, Brendan Kelly, our technical <sighs> producer tonight. Uh, how, how, how does this play out in your world? Oh, no. You're going for a personal service or a treatment of some sort. And the person's like, so how are you today, sir? Oh, see, no, no, I don't like to talk. I don't like the small talk, especially. Right. I, if there's going to be talk, I would prefer to be of some substance. If someone wants to talk about current event in the news or something right now that I may have an opinion on or they have an opinion on, that's fine. But when it's just like, what's the rest of your day going to be like? And what are you up to? And... That's a pretty bird over there. No, I'm not into any of that at all. It just it's painful right. and labored to me and I just, you know, it has to be yeah. there has to be substantive topic, you know, hardcore subject matter to get me engaged. I I completely agree. I completely agree. I I I don't know what it is. I just want to be able to exist. Like what? The, there's that quote, this famous quote, and I'm going to not do it justice, but one of the best feelings is to be able to just be with somebody in silence, right? And have it not be awkward and not feel like you need to say something. That's one of the greatest things. And I want that so much. Like when I go to get a haircut or a massage where I'm just like, nope, I'm good. I don't, I don't want to have a chat with you. And so I was uh, very happy to see uh, that there's a hair salon here in Vancouver. That's where we are, where I am tonight in Vancouver, that has started doing something that I think is is very cool. So the salon is called Artel, and it's owned by a stylist named Eliza Trendiak. And she joins us on the phone right now. Thank you so much for being here, Eliza. I wanted to chat with you because you guys are doing this very, very cool thing that I think could revolutionize the industry uh, for people like myself and for Brendan as well. You've started to offer silent appointments. Tell me how this uh, started and how it came about and uh, what what happens when somebody books a silent appointment. So um, over the years, we've been always looking for ways to kind of up our client experience. And um, in the past, I've had introverts talk to me and tell me how there's a lot of anxiety trying to find a new salon or a new stylist because of the social pressure of having to carry a conversation the entire time. So that kind of mixed with COVID and just with the state of the world, people going through more stress, um, experiencing depression, things like this. Um, we just thought that this could be a cool way to kind of take away that social pressure and give people the freedom to just completely chill out and and not have to have a conversation if they don't want to. This this is so great. And I have to be honest, it totally speaks to me and I'm sure so many other people as well, 
because, you know, you, you go in and you need a haircut or uh, various other personal services. I know like massage therapy is one, right? Where everybody yeah. has this conversation of like, oh, I really hope that they don't talk to me because I want to just relax. But you also don't want to be rude. So I just think that it is it's so cool that you're offering this as an option because we have this like inherent need to to not kind of upset the person that's doing our hair, you know, so it's like, oh, I don't want to be rude. I want to make sure that they're they're enjoying the time with me and stuff. Plus, there's and tell me if this is just a cliche or if this is an actual thing. There's this idea that you go to the the hair salon and it's like, oh, I'm, I'm going to go see my stylist and we're totally going to have a good, you know, chin wag, catch up, gossip. You know, there's almost like a pressure to have that. Totally. And I think on the stylist side of things as well, you know, we're all about trying to make our, our clients feel welcome. And so carrying a conversation is one way to engage with your client. And we also don't want to come across as cold or rude. So from a stylist perspective, we also feel pressure that we need to carry a conversation along so that our clients don't feel like we don't like them or that they're inconvenience to us. So just by putting the option out there right, right away where people can just either on the call, when they're calling it to book an appointment online, they can leave a note or they can simply say on the day that they're showing up, Hey, I would love a silent appointment today. It takes away all the awkwardness and all the pressure. And you are both on the same page. It's such a good feeling to know that sometimes it's the stylist that doesn't want to have the conversation either because they may be on like, I don't know, their fifth or sixth haircut of the day. And they're like, oh, I got to talk about the weather again. Right. Yeah. So to have that that freedom to not have to do that. So you basically you just come in and you say, hey, silent appointment. And nobody nobody gives it a second thought. Nobody gives us a second thought. There's absolutely no judgment. Obviously, we still need to do our initial consultation so that we know what the plan is for the day. But then after that, it's simply the client takes a lead. We just know that they don't want any chat. And that is completely fine. There's no awkwardness, nothing like that about it. So this is the first time that I've seen this at a hair salon. And I know people that have put it in the comments at like massage places and various other places and stuff. And sometimes they get a little bit of pushback. But do you think that this is something that we're going to see more of in these uh, personal service industries? I absolutely feel like we're going to start seeing more of this. Um, Like I said earlier, I mean, just with the the way the world has been with, with COVID, people going through just collectively going through a lot. Um, And also I think, um, you know, people really taking care of their mental health and being much more open um, about, you know, mental health struggles. I really feel like we are moving in that direction. Um, And so we just want to create a really safe space for our clients, whether you're an extrovert and you're there to party with your stylist or whether you're an introvert and you're just so excited to have some quiet time by yourself. We want to make sure that it's a it's a safe space for everyone on the spectrum. That is so cool. I love the idea that, you know, you don't necessarily think that. Uh, getting your hair, going to get your hair cut or your hair styled or colored or whatever, it is a place where you can take action on improving mental health. It's not like the first thing that you would think of, but I love that there are businesses like yours 
that are being so proactive and finding little ways because it's this small thing. It's this small thing that doesn't take much effort or cost anyone anything, but you know, it's making a huge difference in people's lives. And it's just one of those things that is going to contribute to all of us getting through this thing and hopefully getting better and healing and being able to like, you know, pour back a little bit. So uh, we tip our hats to what you guys are doing. Very, very cool. So last question, and you don't have to, cause this might be like n- no names or anything, but okay. so how, how many people come in and ask for the silence appointment? <laughs> is it like 50%? Is it like, Oh, we've only got one or is it all, is it all of them? G- give me some dirt. Well, so this is something that we have literally just launched. Okay. We, um, so it, it's brand it's brand new to us, but I can tell you that the response that we've gotten from people online has been overwhelming. Wow. Okay. From from clients, from other hairstylists, from other salon owners, being like, "OMG, this is brilliant! Thank you." Um, so. I'm excited to see what those numbers look like. I don't have any dirt for you right (laughs) now. This is something that's brand new, but I can tell you that the response has been absolutely overwhelming. Well, it makes sense why. It's a very cool thing that you guys are doing. So congratulations. And uh, it's Eliza Trendiac. She is the owner and operator of Artel Salon in Vancouver, British Columbia. Artelsalon.com is the website. Uh, Thanks for what you're doing and for trying to, you know, make the world a little bit bit of a better place in the way that you can, Eliza. That's very cool. Awesome. Thank you so much. This is the Shift Podcast. We are also joined now by Steve Stebbing. We're going to talk about some movies. And uh, I'm excited, Steve, because you were telling me, I think, that you were excited about Scream. Were you telling mm-hmm. me that? I are was. Are you excited yeah. about Scream? Very much. Uh, And I'm glad you called it Scream and not Scream 5 because I've gotten so many emails being like, do not call this movie Scream 5. Like, it was like they were going to send a ghost face after me if I called it Scream 5. But they should have put 5 as the S. Like, from (laughs) were they they getting, uh, like, from studio people? Like, people who made the movie? Yeah, I, I, it's probably a producer's decision. Uh, and I mean, this is the first Scream movie that hasn't been done by Wes Craven. So I think that there's a lot of stigma riding into this film. Um, but it is in really good hands because it comes from the guys behind uh, Radio Silence. Uh, my uh, Matt Battinelli, Olpin and Tyler Gillett, um, who are... They made a film called uh, Ready or Not Not, a couple of years ago that was just a phenomenal piece of horror. So, uh, And from the reviews, it looks like all went well. Yeah, I mean, uh, obviously I haven't seen it yet or anything, but everything that I've read about it is that it is like, it it is, let's just say it that way. The reviews are phenomenal for it so far Mm -hmm. because we Mm -hmm. see this and it's like oh okay it's just another one of these you know hollywood reboot relaunches and i was gonna ask you because it feels like all of the franchises do this where it's like fast and furious one two three four and then Mm -hmm. they just call the next one fast and furious again you know like scream one two three and then the fifth one is just called scream again it's like a reboot but it's not a reboot uh which is an interesting thing that they're doing but yeah apparently it's phenomenally good if not the best of them all 
Yeah, and I mean, this comes 25 years after the original. And uh, I mean, the reinvention of horror is a new hotness right now, of course, with Halloween doing the business that it did. Um, but there is the reverence to that source material here, very present in this one. Uh, you have the returning uh, cast of uh, Courtney Cox, uh, Nev Campbell, Canadian Nev Campbell, and uh, uh, David Arquette in this one as well to kind of help it along. And the thing with horror and it getting good reviews is horror is usually graded on such a downgrade as is, is kind of like um, the ones that has to do more out of the gate to impress people. And the fact that it is uh, in the high marks right now um, that's intriguing. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's listen to a clip. This isn't funny, Amber. Would you like to play a game, Tara? <laughs> doors unlocked. All doors locked. Doors unlocked. I love it. I love it. And you know what else I think is really interesting that, and I don't know if this is just horror, but I movie, it feels like they're doing this like self-aware meta Mm -hmm. sort of thing now. Like how you say it, it does, it does justice to the source material and kind of, you know, like I think about the matrix Mm -hmm. and obviously this isn't the same type of movie, but they, 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 recognize the significance of the previous movies and and do mm-hmm. all sorts of like fan service and such you know does that make sense and I, I would well i would argue that that scream has always been subversive in that vein and always been slightly satirical and, and very self-aware from the first movie i mean randy meeks jamie K- uh, kennedy's character in the first film was the most self-aware character ever in a horror film at the time uh you know and unfortunately he i i believe he meets randy meeks meets his demise way too early in the series he should still be alive now uh is what i think because he is the exact foil you need uh i think he is besides the the video callbacks that he is in 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 the third film and the fourth film they're they're lacking that awareness they bring other characters in to try to cover that uh side of it but i don't know i think i think we all kind of fell in love with randy meeks yeah. Scream is going to be awesome. I'm really excited for mm-hmm. it. Uh, let's move on, though, because this movie has me intrigued. I I feel like I need to watch it, but I'm not that excited because I just, for whatever reason, I have a thing against the black and not against, but like it's harder for me to watch the black and white thing. Plus, it's the story that we all know. The tragedy of Macbeth. By the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. King that shall be. If we should fail. We fail. And I mean, same story here. It it looks mm-hmm. phenomenal. The reviews are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I'm just I'm not maybe it's because like I've it feels like high school, you know, Macbeth. But then you throw in well, you know all the the huge litany of names that are involved in this mm-hmm. and it just feels like you got to watch it. Yeah, and you know what when it when it comes down to it is I think theatrically 
um, they haven't exactly gotten Macbeth right. I think Kurosawa is the only one to get Macbeth right with Ran, which is like my favorite Kurosawa film. Um, but I mean, they did an Australian one with Sam Worthington that wasn't great. Uh, they did one with Michael Fassbender that looks gorgeous, but is totally. really kind of like a, a narrative mess. Um, but it takes a Cohen brother to uh, to make Macbeth work. And this is actually Joel Cohen's first solo film, uh, not working with Ethan on this one at all. Uh, though Francis McDormand, the regular Cohen brothers staple is in this film as well. But this is Denzel Washington's movie. This is Denzel playing Macbeth, uh, a, a character that we haven't seen him play si- uh, since like at that type of character we haven't seen him play that since like training day so yeah that's really fascinating to see to see like this this desperate and descent uh, descent into darkness through denzel's gravitas and it's uh it, it's a very fascinating film um the black and white definitely adds a lot to it i i'm i'm a sucker for black and white i really like it i i mean uh, joaquin phoenix just did come on come on that was all black and white uh the lighthouse is one of the best movies of the last 30 years uh that's also black and white and in this same kind of aspect ratio which is almost like a four three uh there's a little box on your screen yeah um and yeah it's it's the kind of a 24 occasion of uh shakespeare and i was kind of down for it yeah and i mean like i say i I so you mentioned the Michael Fassbender Macbeth, which mm-hmm. this exact mm-hmm. same story looked so cool, but it was again just like watching it. I'm like, okay, seriously, we're doing this again, you know? Uh, <laughs> it kind of just feels to me like the Shakespeare, and I love the Coen Brothers as well, you know. And mm-hmm. Shakespeare, I feel awful saying this. Is it like low hanging fruit? It's like you want to win an Oscar, direct a Shakespeare adaptation, <laughs> you know? And like make it black and white and put some, you know, somebody like Denzel in it. But of course, I, I'm sure it is going to be phenomenal. And yeah, I'll, I'll watch it too. I'll watch it too. Okay, let's move on here. Uh, how about the Italian studies? I don't remember who I am. Are you Alina Reynolds by any chance? Yes, I'm a big fan of your work. Or where I'm supposed to go. My memories begin with me walking among all these people. Let's just keep walking, okay? Well, yeah. I'm not familiar with this. Tell me about Italian studies. Yeah, this is uh, the stars Vanessa Kirby, who is this actress that I first saw because I was kind of late to the crown. I first saw her in Hobbs and Shaw. She plays uh, Deckard Shaw's sister. And uh, I I was just like, she's so interesting. Like, I would like to see more of her. And then all of a sudden she she is uh, Princess Margaret in the first two seasons of The Crown. So basically any film that she's in, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to give this a chance. So essentially she plays a writer that moves from London to New York City. And while there, she kind of go get inexplicably gets into this amnesiatic fog where she can't remember anything. And comes across this kind of group of creative uh, younger people, early 20s people, and just kind of goes on this New York City odyssey of kind of this creative weirdness. And the problem is, is there's really nothing engaging about this movie in any sense besides watching Vanessa Kirby kind of 
um, sleepwalk through this, this, uh, I mean, this just storied city. And I don't know. I just, as much as beautifully as it's shot, I just, it never, it never handcuffed me at all. I just never felt really attached to it. Interesting. Okay. So not maybe pass on, uh, Italian studies. Mm. Uh, we have time maybe to do one. Well, or should we cut to break? Brandon, should we cut to break? We got time. We okay, right. Somebody, we, we could do one more. Okay, I I'm gonna skip forward because I am a huge fan, and I definitely want to talk about this. Righteous Gemstones season two. This is a family business. Daddy's faculties are waning. The next logical leaders would be Amber and myself. Y'all are not the only married people in this family. Me and BJ are also strongly betrothed. Not a real family. No kids. Slam. I like that one. I don't got time for kids because I'm trying to keep this fresh physique. Fine. I'm not trying to be all loose and stretched out like Amber's played out pastrami. Enough! Like it okay, so season one was so good. Like it mm-hmm. it's a topic that's very close to my heart. Like I grew up in the evangelical church, so I to- I totally get these type of characters. But D- like Danny McBride, you put him in there and I'm sold, right? But mm-hmm. the, the cast is incredible. It looks super funny. Let's talk about righteous gemstones. Yeah, I, I really dig this show. Um, and, and it's fascinating for me because I, I, I feel like uh, Danny Bride, Danny McBride and, and the, the creative team in this one, uh, you know, Jody Hill and, and all the usual suspects that he, he teams up with, they've gotten better and better as, as their HBO shows have progressed. Like I, I remember their starting of like uh, Foot Fist Way in these small little indie uh, dirtbag films, essentially, because I mean, a lot of what Danny McBride does is dirtball characters. Uh, but then that made the jump to Eastbound and Down. And then we got Vice Principles. I, I feel like Righteous Gemstones is like almost a culmination point where these guys are writing on like such a next level now. And their character development is so deep. Their setup is so it is so well orchestrated. And I mean, the fact that you have John Goodman, like kind of as the patriarch right. of this family shows that you have a really really good foundation adam divine's hilarious in this one as well but edie patterson uh i really didn't know anything about edie patterson before this show but her judy gemstone is incredible she is such an incredible character and um yeah i'm in love with the gemstones for sure yeah, absolutely. It's a very funny show. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, it's definitely uh, worth a watch. Very funny, fantastic cast, and uh, you'll probably like it. Thanks for listening to The Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show, and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca.